All right, welcome to another episode. This is Don't Call It a Book Club. My name's Luke. My name is Dan. And this episode is our second episode concerning Elantris by Brandon Sanderson. We've finished the book and we'll be talking about the ending and how we feel about the whole book as a as a whole. But first, we've got a couple segments that we want to talk about that do not cover the book. So I've got so we've got one rant by me. And then I think we've both got a news segment that we want, we want to talk about. Right, Dan? You have one Yeah, too? that's right. So if you want to get right into the book, probably skip ahead like 10 minutes and you'll be solidly into us discussing uh, Elantris at length. Yeah, yeah. 10 minutes seems... It's, let's be honest, it's probably going to be more than 10 minutes. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Okay. So my rant. First off, we'll start with that. Yeah, get into it. I want to talk about hardcover books okay have you read using a hardcover book recently no okay there's this big thing among authors that or authors and i guess publishers and other i don't know people that make money off of books (laughs) where (laughs) everyone wants is like pushing people to buy hardcover books yeah because they're way more expensive, mm-hmm. so like they get more money, and they they're not like the ratio to making them is less. The ratio of cost to make them is less than like the increase in the purchase. Oh price. yeah, you're saying they transmit like the cost that they give to the cons- the consumer is not nearly as much as it costs to add cardboard to the outside of the book. Right. So per book they're making way more money on hardcover books. So there's this big thing where among like even Brandon Sanderson for example where they want us to buy hardcover books because it supports the authors, right? Yeah. Which like sure, like I'd like to support my favorite authors, but Ooh. I refuse to spend like 20 extra bucks Uh uh on a book with some cardboard on top with the exact same cover art in like a little laminated folder thing folded on top of it. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to pay enough money for a hardcover book, it better be fantastic. So what what kind of things would up up that value for you? Well, first off, you need different cover art. Okay. And I don't want the cover art to just be on that little laminated thing. I want it to be like on the book. You know what I mean? Mm, You don't want like a sleeve. You don't want just like a folder that goes around the cardboard. You want the like hard cover to have the art on it. Exactly. Because I've read hardcover books before. Every single time when I'm reading it, I take the sleeve off and I put it in a drawer (laughs) because that thing is freaking annoying. It is very annoying now that you mention it. Yeah. I hadn't so, thought about so that. So if they want me to buy or spend the extra money to buy a hardcover book, I need to be impressed. Because otherwise it's just charity. Right. Well, you could because if you really want to donate more money to the author, you could buy the book twice and then give it to somebody. Right? Yeah. Right? Just buy two. Yeah, that'd be a way better use of money. Right. Um, and here's the thing. I think, I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this, but if my book looks super cool, I'm going to enjoy reading it more. Okay, so here's the thing, and here's why I think a lot of people buy hardcover books who aren't just trying to support the author. It's to have that street cred, because if you have the hardcover versions, it's like, oh, you are really into uh, the Game of Thrones because you have hardcover Game of Thrones. 
right? Sure. You have a book. Yeah. You can't easily fit that in your backpack on the airplane because you're only right. reading that at a desk with a piece of paper to take notes nearby, right? That's a study <laughs> tome. That is not a travel book. Yes. Right? And I feel like, so I feel like your idea to put different cover art on the actual hardcover would appeal to those people so much because they have like this new cooler art that goes with the hardcover book. I would add. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I would add one addendum and that is, I would have the books have a cover sleeve, right? But it's, it's the wrapper for the cool art. So you get the cover sleeve that is like the normal book art. And then you peel off that normal book art. And on the real cover, you've got like this super dope custom artwork on, you know, limited hardcover printings. Right. And so they do limited runs. Right. Maybe they do several different covers so you can like collect them all. Got to catch them all like cover art. That'd be cool. See, I would be willing to pay the extra money mm-hmm. if it was, like, worth it, you know? Right. If it was super cool right. and I would enjoy the process of reading it more, but I'm not paying the extra money for the exact same no. thing. For even, I actually prefer paperbacks if they're oh, in that format. absolutely. Well, and especially because a paperback is usually, like, it's usually smaller. It's way more portable. It's just usually a better reading experience. Unless you want to feel, like you said, unless you want to feel like, you're reading a dope book. Right, which sometimes I do. Right. It's natural. Okay. It's perfectly reasonable. Right. I wasn't I was actually we agreed more on that rant than I was expecting us to. Um yeah, here's something that we're not gonna agree on. Uh I oh, think is this, is this jumping into the news segments? Yeah, so I think uh intense sports fans ruin sports for the rest of us. Uh because here's my here's my take, Luke. I'm watching the World Cup. Okay. I'm watching the World sure. Cup. And I'm loving watching soccer, okay? But if I'm sitting down if I'm sitting down to watch the World Cup with somebody who knows the names of every single athlete that's been on the Panamanian team since nineteen ninety four and are talking about how those athletes are uh having tr- struggles with their injuries or how their season this year was so fraught with uh bad defensive opportunities, I don't care. Why are we talking about that? Or how their coach has been moving around the league a lot? This is ruining the game for me. I want to watch people okay. kick the soccer ball around. And they're, okay. they're ruining it. I do not want to watch it if they're going to sit there and give me that kind of commentary. Because I don't care about the names of every single player on the other team. I don't know them. Okay, I hear your, I hear your argument. I somewhat agree, actually. Okay. Okay, so I am a big sports fan. Right. But I kind of agree with you. Okay. But I want I want middle ground. You know what I mean? Like I get like you were watching it. You're describing someone that basically wants you to know how big of a sports fan they are. Okay. Like they're they're kind of just showing off, and it becomes overboard for you. Kind of. I, but if there's two of them, if there's two of them, Luke, they go back and forth. If there's two of them, they build the narrative of the team that has existed throughout the season and they know everybody who's played and all the characters and uh, I don't I can tell I can tell that you're not a big sports fan because you called them characters <laughs> it fits in well with this podcast but I don't know if it does with other sports all right podcasts. well this is not a sports podcast this is a fa- fantasy podcast 
Right, which is why you use the term characters. I almost said fantasy because we are not a soft A podcast, so. Yeah, well, we are a soft A podcast. Oh, okay. Well, my pronunciation isn't great. Anyway, so I think hardcore sports fans, which are a good portion of sports fans, ruin it for everybody else. Especially especially watching the world cup right now with that's fair there's a lot of world cup is one where the kind of hardcore sports soccer fans in the u.s really get to do that kind of thing because they rarely do and and they take advantage of it every four years god it's so awful and i feel like if there was a like there's got to be a critical number of people who are into a sport before that becomes acceptable. Like football, you get together with two people who say they like football and they're like, oh yeah, well let's talk about everything about football forever. And that's like fine and good. Like that maintains football because there are a lot of people that do that. But soccer, soccer, the only time people in the United States care is during the World Cup. And so those sure. people who are trying to show off because they've been, suffered and watched soccer for the past four years when we haven't played, when there hasn't been a World Cup and are now showing off how much they've paid attention to these leagues that nobody gives a, like, cares about, they turn everybody off soccer. That's why nobody watches it here because they don't want to sure. have to study for eight years under a master in order to know who the coaches <laughs> of every team are. <laughs> okay, that's a valid argument. I'll give you that. Although we don't want to turn off our international listeners here. So, like, soccer is, like, cool, right? Oh, dude, I love soccer. Like, soccer, football, whatever you want to call the sport where you kick the ball into the goal with your feet. Best sport of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming you're not watching it with big soccer fans. Assuming you're not watching it with people who just... Like, if... I would love watching soccer if watching soccer with people was... And the commentary they gave was like a Latin American soccer announcer where they were not giving background in history. They were literally just announcing how awesome all the plays were and screaming their heads off when somebody scored a goal. Here's the thing. Here's the veteran move that you got to do. So the soccer games, we don't get a lot of them at my house, Uh but they're all on Telemundo. Oh. which is fantastic. Yes. See, now that might be a good way to uh silence all of this narrative talk yeah, just for people just crank the telemundo and then everyone can just get hype with these announcers that are also getting so hype yeah that sounds like a good time okay yeah i might have to the next game i might have to do that okay especially okay. after mexico's all win right. Ooh, watch it just just real quick watching that mexico win with a telemundo announcer probably would have been it off would, the yeah. rails yeah, it was pretty nuts. Oh, love it. Um, okay, so moving on from the soccer news, I'll bring up my bit of news. It's going to be short because I want to get into Elantris. Okay, yeah, we can, we can get in there. So E3 was recently, right? Good rhyme. The video games thing. By the way. What'd you say? Good rhyme. <laughs> I'm pretty good at those, yeah. <laughs> but, so, I like video games. I'm not a huge gamer. Yeah. But did you see the news about a game a certain game that was announced? Uh I may have. I I think you should keep going with with okay. this. You ready? Y- yeah. Elder Scrolls 6. Okay, yes. 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 <laughs> and I could not be more excited. But here's the thing. 
okay, we know they were going to come out with Elder Scrolls. They we okay, if you thought that Skyrim was going to be the last Elder Scrolls game, you were delusional, right? So at right. some point they're going to come out with another Elder Scrolls. Yeah, I mean, I knew they were going to come out with one, but still it's it's pretty nice if they You're right, it's very exciting. Uh, I'm Granted, concerned it's not going to be for like 3 years or yes, something. Yes, like and they have released almost no details about the game they literally just we, just we just know that it's the sixth one they literally they didn't even tell us what the like subtitle what the like main title of the game is they just right. showed us a title screen that was like guess what this game's coming i have looked at many articles <laughs> that tried to figure out that where i'm trying to analyze the- <laughs> on the like five second video that they showed what's even funnier too is the music in that trailer is almost identical to the skyrim uh, music and so it's like they had to do very little i think it would be hysterical if the game came out and it was like skyrim after global warming and it's the exact same map <laughs> they just melted all the snow and stuff and like even the missions are exactly the same everyone's dressed in the same outfits but before they begin any dialogue they just complain about how hot it is now in their fur coats i think that'd be a great game i don't know if i don't i don't know if i would enjoy that game as much as you would you know how I used to be an adventurer like you, arrow to the knee kind of thing became a meme? I feel like this could have such meme potential because all these characters could just complain about the hot weather before they start any interaction with you. And for like three weeks, a- I'm sure every high schooler in the country would just be talking about, would start every conversation with anybody with, oh man, real hot out there today, huh? Anyway, do this, do this quest. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. If their if their if their target goal is to make memes with the video game, then I think that's a good route to go. Yes. Isn't that why anybody does anything anymore? It should be. That's what I'm doing this for at okay, least. Okay, I don't know about that. Uh well Okay, that's so we're, our, that's so our we're news. excited about we're excited about E three. We're not excited about people who get way too in-depth coverage about soccer uh and um i think we're ready to to jump into it all right let's talk about elantris now so we've both finished the book Mm -hmm. Uh, i had finished it before you now know the ending right so so it looks like uh all my predictions were right and i accurately was able to uncover this strange plot that brandon sanderson was uh trying to keep hidden from us for a long time but unfortunately my deductions uh proved too powerful for him so really i don't i don't recall you Hmm. having any correct uh guesses Uh, on what happens well I'm sure if you go back and listen to it, uh, you'll hear kind of what I meant when I said those things. Oh, okay. Uh, you, there was some subtext to your predictions? Right. So, obviously, you know, you go to a fortune teller, and they're not going to just say, uh, Luke, uh, don't go outside tomorrow. You'll get hit by a truck. You know, but they'll give you some, like, subtle hints at it. Like, beware the four wheels. Um, sure. And that's, so, like, you, there's, you got to do some work other than just paying the fortune teller. You got to do some work in terms of interpreting. Yeah, their yeah. So, my none of my predictions are meant as a uh, explicit understanding. You know, I never gave any details about uh, these predictions, and I never made any like super bold claims. I was just being very abstract with all of my predictions, and it turns out I was one hundred percent right. 
Oh, okay. I so. might have to give uh, our last episode a yeah. Quick I I don't think you need to, I don't think you need, on that. I don't think you need to do that. No, I think we're good. Just uh, good try, Brandon. But uh, better luck next time. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, what you what do you think of the ending? First off. <clears throat> okay, I I thought the ending was okay. So part two, I like couldn't put it down. The ending, I feel right. like, was five or six chapters too short because the amount of stuff mm-hmm. that they put into the ending made it to where all these revelations were happening within the course of like six pages, and you're like, oh wait, this is this, this is this, what? And it's like putting yeah. it all together at the very end is like. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so, there's no room to process each no revelation basically. Well, and it felt like everything had to be tied in to the story to such a point that even like cursory things had to be tied in at the end. Like I felt like the the biggest example of this to me is the um like dread pirate that we kept hearing mm-hmm. like just occasional little snippets of throughout the book. Like there were maybe there's maybe a paragraph that you could put together throughout the whole book about this pirate guy. Um, and then at the end it's revealed that the brother of the King of Teod is the pirate guy. And like, I feel like that would have hit so much better. So if you wanted to do that reveal, it would have hit way better if there was way more information about the pirate guy throughout the book. So you had this kind of idea of who the pirate guy was and then, yeah. Cause it wasn't that big of a deal when it actually got revealed. Because, right. Yeah um and so i yeah i just felt like there wasn't enough buildup for a lot of the for some of the reveals that happened um which like i understand you have like an editor and you have like you know you have restraints i'm sure every author the book that they plan you know every author the book that they plan i'm sure is like five times longer than the book that actually gets published um right but i just feel like instead of revealing everything at the end as being interconnected, leaving some of those not, you know, leaving some of those mysteries unresolved would have been perfectly fine. Um, and that totally did not happen. Um, well, so, so, so we've reread it again. What do you think after, or you've reread it? What do you think after rereading it? What's your, what's your take on the ending? Here's, so I don't know about the whole bit about the magic coming back for the particular reason that it did for him to like scratch a line in the dirt. Isn't that basically what he did? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what he did. Like that's pretty precise for that whole magic system to need just like a line in the dirt. Yes. Well, and you would think, these Elantrians are supposedly the wisest, super smart people, right, in the whole, like, Arleon nation, right? You'd think they would figure out that, oh, the, we need another line and we're totally good. We can do that in, like... Right, yeah. We can do that in literally two minutes. And there's also, like, the, you know, the Aeons still worked even without that line in the dirt. So... It it would have literally taken one Elantrian to realize, oh, we we should change this. And then it would have been perfectly fine. 
Yeah, because there's a lot of Elantrians left. I mean, granted, a decent amount of them got killed like immediately after mm-hmm. it, but still. Ah, you bring up a good point, Luke. Uh, it does like, seem like... Are you talking like that? Uh, it does seem like, given the speed which, which, with which the Elantrian Empire fell, there may have been some mastermind behind its inevitable demise. Oh, no, I can tell you're teasing some kind of theory that I'm going to hate. Oh, yes, Luke. Because the Elantri- the fall of the Elantrians did not just happen because of some strange event that they then for some reason could not figure it out. No, 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 no. Because that explanation doesn't make sense, Luke. But you know what explanation does make sense? What am I about to have to hear? Luke, the Karathi religion is responsible for the Ryod and is executing a takeover of the entire world on a scale that is far more vast than the Fjordal Empire. Oh my gosh. Yes, that's exactly what I thought when I figured it out. I knew you were going to come up with something like this. (laughs) All right. Now, isn't it strange, doesn't it seem odd to you that the book opens with Serene coming from Teod? Now, Teod is the nation that is responsible for the Shukorath religion. That is the heart of Shukorath, is in Teod. Now, why why do we think that this nation, that Teod, would be sending over a princess in order to form an alliance with the nation of Arlon? Sure, the initial explanation could be that they're trying to strengthen diplomatic ties between the nations. However, if we seems look like a little a, bit deeper, like a good reason. if we look a little bit deeper, Luke, let's think about what kind of connections exist between the people of Elantris and the Karathi religion. First, where does Spirit set up his operation in Elantris? A church. Which church? The, is it a Karathi church? A Karathi church, Luke. Okay. That's right. I didn't, know, Spirit, I didn't know there was going to be a quiz. Spirit, oh, sorry. Um, Spirit sets up his base of operations in an old Karathi church inside of Elantris. Why would the Elant- Why would the Karathians, I'm going to call them Karathians, okay. why would they set up a church inside Elantris? This place that seemingly defies all of their teachings about their God being powerful. Why would they do that, Luke? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. They did it to monitor the Elantrians and discover the source of their power. Okay. Here's how I know. <clears throat> this, okay. this already sounds like there's going to be a lot of evidence for this theory. All right. So, Brandon Sanderson's website, there is a page where he's discussing jewelry that's made in the symbols of the Aeons. It's also revealed on that page that... Uh, Korath, who is the founder of Shu Korathi, or of Shu Korath, his follower, his name was Shan Ven. Shortly after Korath's death, Shan Ven took Shu Korath to Teod because that nation had declared that the state religion was Shu Korath. Okay? From this, from this small piece of evidence, we can already see that Shu Korath has uh, aspirations of governmental takeover, right? They want to be associated with some kind of government. All right. 
now. Just just by because they're making their religion their their official religion. Right, right. Teod made Shukorath their official religion, and so the one of the f- main founders of Shukorath goes to Teod and begins to work the diplomatic ties to entrench Shukorath into the nation of Teod. All right. Now, let's okay. jump forward a little bit. Okay, so while the Karathi chapel is being built in Elantris and you have these Karathi, uh, you know, uh, priests who are there and presumably there on a mission of tolerance and peace when they're actually uh, seeking to discover the source of the Elantrians power, um, because as we've seen with the Fjordal Empire, no religious empire can take over when there's these Elantrians there who have way more power than they do, way more explicit power than they do. And it makes perfect sense that the Shukarathi would not want the Elantrians there because of the exact reason that it is an affront to their god, right? If you have these people who can do these magical things, why do you need a deity anymore? The Arleons right. worship the Elantrians like gods. That's not cool with Shukarath, right? There's only Domi with Shukarath. Well, is Shukarath that hostile to other religions? Not explicitly, Luke, but wait. Okay. All right. Around the time of the fall of the Elantrians, uh, the, um, the king of Arlon made a deal with the patriarch of the Karathi religion. This is the Sian, Sianalon. Okay. And he, he gave him this like will essentially that if he died or whatever, or after 15 years passes, this patriarch would come into Arlon and make this pronouncement, right? And everybody would trust him because of course you can trust the word of this Shu Korath patriarch. Now there's two explanations for why this would happen. Either one, the king realized that Shu Korath had immense power and was trying to further ally himself with this religion in order to become a part of its hierarchical structure, or the patriarch made up that pronouncement because who oh, is going to no who is going to disagree with him? Now he puts himself in the position of essentially a lawmaker in Arlon. He can come and say the king told him whatever he want and people will believe him. He has that kind of authority and he set himself up there. And what did everybody do? They believed him. Now, so we think that the Fjordal Empire has a hierarchical structure. However, if we look a little bit closer at Shukorath, we might see an even more rigid power structure, just one which is below the surface, a subtler version of the hierarchical structure of the Fjordal Empire. Now, the main contact in Arlon for the Shukorath religion is Father Omen. Father mm-hmm. Omen is in charge of the Karath, Karathi temple there. Now, Father Omen, it seems on his face, he's always distracted. He seems to be talking and kind of forget what he's talking about. And, and people tend to think that he is this innocent old man who doesn't seem to have any other aspirations and gets trailed off. This is actually just a clever disguise because it's very clearly revealed to us that Father Omen is incredibly intelligent and knows exactly what's going on within the nation. In fact, he goes up to Hrathen several times and seems to imply that he knows a lot more than we think he does. So, we have Father Omen, who is a deft politician, even more so, some would say, 
than Serene or any of the other career politicians who are there. Father Omen well, much is more, much more subtle. Much please. more subtle. He's able to infiltrate these circles so deeply. Now, now, I want to get back to the point that I was originally building to this hierarchical structure. So we know that Father Omen is this scheming mastermind inside Arlon. Um, however, once Cianalon comes, the patriarch, you would think that he would have the authority in these situations. However, as soon as Serene decides she's going to get married, she foolishly chooses Father Omen to preside over the ceremony. Ah, uh, the problem is this doesn't fit into the hierarchical structure of Shukorath. And we see what a, now we we see that Cianalon is not too pleased about this decision. And as soon as Serene is trying to get married, what happens to her? She becomes an Elantrian. She becomes an Elantrian. Somebody poisons Serene. As, but it was Frothen. Mm, when is it stated that it's Frothen? Is it not? Hrothen takes credit for it, sure. And Serene blames Hrothen for the cause of her troubles. Hrothen, however, never claims that he was the one responsible. In fact, the one responsible for turning Serene into an Elantrian is Sianalon, the patriarch of Shu Korath, because he was snubbed for the royal wedding. Now, this is kind of a bold step for somebody who's trying to run a shadow organization with aspirations of taking over the world. However, it is essential that Cianalon, as the patriarch of Shukorath, be seen as the head of this new government that is starting. And he can't do that if Father Omen is presiding over the marriage that legitimizes Serene's rise to power. Now, Luke, do you have any questions so far before I get to the coup de grace? <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited for the coup de grace, but I'm not sure if I'm convinced that the patriarch is the one that poisoned her. Why not? Because it is very heavily implied, if not outrightly said, that Hrothen does it. Because he even had, like, the whole poison, his poisoner come in and ship him the specific poison that does that. Okay, sure. How would he have gotten it to Serene? How would Hrothen... Sure, Hrothen could make himself look like an Elantrian. How would Hrothen get the poison to Serene? And, sure, it's implied based on Hrothen's narrative that he believes he was successful. Right? He was waiting for Serene to come oh. out of this. So you're saying he... Your, your, your theory is that Hrothen tried to poison her. But... He didn't, but it looks like he did because the patriarch actually did the same thing. Exactly. We also know that this alchemist that Hrothen was using to get this poison doesn't have super strong ties to the Fjordella Empire anyway. He seems more like a man who's interested in power and whoever wields it than dedication to some religion. As True. such, it seems like anyone could t make use of his services. True. So you, So you think he... The poisoner or chemist thinks that the Karathi religion has a stronger chance of taking over the world and wants to be aligned with them. I'm saying that I think the alchemist is just working with whoever will employ his services. Okay. I don't think he needs to have explicit understanding of who is gaining control of power. Okay. 
All right, that's that's I'm I'm pretty impressed with your theory so far. Okay, uh, take take me to the finish. Here's where we're going. What is the guiding principle on its face of Shu Korath? Seems like it's like kindness or something it's like, like that. Like kindness and love. That's right, Luke. However, throughout the story, we are confronted with these instances of poor people in Arlon who are skulking in the shadows and it's illegal to beg so they're hiding on the outskirts of these city and what do the Shu Karath do for these poor people I don't remember them doing much nothing Luke they do nothing to help the poor people of Arlon indeed in fact this Teod princess who comes to Arlon what does she do for the poor well, she helps out the Elantrians. Oh, wait a minute. Who is responsible? Oh, no, I just played into your hands, didn't I? Who is responsible for making sure the Elantrians make it into their city? The, is it the Karathi religion? It's the Karathi religion. The Karathis, no. Shu Korath, oh, no. cloaks the Elantrians in their white garb. It gives them a basket of grain and food and wine and escorts them directly to the gate, past which no one else can enter except for the Shukarath priests. Why is this, you might ask? And when Serene chooses to do her widow's trials, at the guidance by the guidance of Father Omen, does she choose to give food to the poor people of Arlon? No. She does not. She chooses to enter the gates of Elantris and give food, to presumably give food to the Elantrians. Now... Why is there so much importance put on the Elantrians by Shukorath and not on the poor of the nation? The Elantrians are seen as dead walking. Why give them any regard when you could you have these living people who are dying around you? Why do you think, Luke? I think, you know, I think I've pretty much laid the trail. I think you can make us the re- get us the rest of the way there. It sounds like there's some ulterior motive here for the Karathi. That's exactly right, Luke. The Karathi are responsible for the road. And if the Elantrians ever come back to power, the Karathi are the ones who are going to fall as a result. Their religion is going to fade into obscurity as the Elantrians rise once again and people begin worshipping them. So, the Karathi need to keep a close eye on the Elantrians to ensure that they are not close to regaining their power. And how do they do this? They do this by bringing new Elantrians to the city to ensure that they're torn apart by their new inha- by the city's inhabitants. They do this by sending a political envoy to the, to the Elantris capital to enter and seemingly converse with its inhabitants. They do this using the Sions, who can travel back and forth and communicate instantaneously. Shu Korath has no problem with the Sions, and they use them to keep an eye on Elantris. That's why the, the, the Sions don't speak to the Elantrians, because in fact, they are spies working for the Korath Empire. Oh, the Sions that have that have had partners taken by the Riod? That's right. They're, st- they're the spies? That's right. Wow, that actually would make a lot of sense pretty good actors (laughs) well they don't they don't have to say anything luke they're just there to observe and report back to their overlords in shu karath so you so you so the point of this is that shu karath is currently at the peak of their whole power struggle 
Uh, where they do they have a, do they have another plan where they're going to take even more power, or is this are they just trying to keep what power they have right now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Shu Korath is at work throughout the Fjordal Empire. It's just we don't hear about their exploits. We only are in this book as it focuses on um, the Aralon Empire and Teod to a smaller extent. We see how Korath is able to infiltrate the political landscape and subtly influence things in their favor. Now, uh, there's one final piece of the puzzle that ties the whole thing up like an like an aeon by an elantrian. Okay, it finishes the whole. <laughs> Uh, it it puts a nice that was a good metaphor not quite there's one more piece that puts the bow the ribbon on this whole story okay now the elantrians fell from power somehow right and how did they do that well there was a an earthquake supposedly yeah if you can't Dan just did air quotes. He, he forgot ah. that we're doing a podcast. Yes. Not a video. Okay. Yeah. So there was an earthquake that caused a giant chasm to open up uh, in the ground. Thus, quote unquote earthquake. Thus rendering all of the aeons uh, useless. This earthquake was not some act of nature. This was a direct attack by Shu Korath on the Elantrians using the knowledge that they gained from the Karathi chapel that was inside Elantris. They figured out where the Elantrians were drawing their power from and how to access the door and use this knowledge to create a chasm, thus rendering all of their magic, uh, rendering all of their magic incapable of working, rendering it useless. Wow. That's a, it's a pretty big accusation. Do you have any, you got any theories on how they faked this earthquake? No. Okay. <laughs> maybe they had an Elantrian of their own. Maybe, use. maybe they had an Elantrian of their own. I wouldn't be surprised. Sounds right to me. I, you know what? I, I started this out a little skeptical and I was trying to poke holes in it. I don't think I can find any holes. Yeah. In it. Come at me, Luke. Shu Korath is an evil empire that's seeking to unite the world under their banner. They're just much smarter and more subtle than the Fjordal Empire. They're... Okay. You do you think they're first of all, I'll agree with you that they're trying to unite the world under their imp- I'll I'll take I'll accept your premise of this whole theory. Okay. Do you think you think that they're smarter and more successful than the Fjordell Empire and that they're evil? Yes. All right. Wow. I think they're smarter and more successful because the people in the Fjordell Empire are always rebelling, right? True. People in the Karathi Empire, they accept their, they accept their enslavement with willing arms. Wow. <laughs> That's right. And they're evil because who would do such a thing to the Elantrians? That's true. Yeah, the Elantrian was, like, the whole thing with the Elantrians was basically a paradise. Right. So anyone that's knocking that down has got to be evil. Got to be evil. Boom. Wow. This was, this was very well thought out. I'll give you that. 
you did a lot of you did a lot more research than I was expecting. Luke, the pieces of the puzzle just fit together. Once you start unraveling the thread, you just see how far it goes, and it's just one after the other. Dominoes, baby, dominoes. It's fair. Well, I'm convinced. I don't know if I don't know if our listeners will be convinced. Uh, just tweet at us if you have anything to add to my theory. Uh, there are. Some weak points I will recognize, but I think at the soul of this theory is the nugget of truth um, that we can build on in order to really, really bust this wide open. Because um, this is not something I was looking on the forums and nobody's talking about this. Um, oh, I'm surprised by that. Yeah. There's, so, cause there's, there's a lot of things going on with these, like the Cosmere, there's a lot of theories, all that kind of thing. This one might be new. Yeah. Might, uh, might create a lot of buzz. So, so <laughs> t- to preface, I have seen a little bit of discussion about Domi equaling Dominion. Uh, there was a couple posts about that, how, you know, Domi is the name of the Korath god, and Dominion is, like, basically the end of Domi. Um, and how maybe people were subtly saying, like, oh, we want the Korath Dominion. Uh, but... They didn't really have a lot of evidence for it. So I think what I have provided here is the necessary evidence to come up with that. Um, Okay, so how much have you looked on, on like, the whole Cosmere theories and that kind of thing in the background of the Cosmere? A zero, except I looked up uh, Korath Evil. (laughs) That was your Google search? Uh, y- yes. <laughs> I didn't find a lot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, not because I had to make sure that, so, I mean, this theory would not have been interesting if it was well known and well documented. Um, so right. I'm bringing something new and hot. I had to check to make sure after I uncovered this, that this was not old news. Right. That's fair. Well, okay. So the, I've looked up a little bit about the Cosmere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Cosmere being the larger universe that Brandon Sanderson's novels are based in. Yes. Yeah. So do you mind if I tell you what the whole Domi Dominion thing is? Yes. Hit me with it. I just read the headline. I did not read anything further. So, so there's, there's basically at the beginning of this or not at the beginning of this universe, but the beginning of this story, there is this, I guess, being that was basically the called Adonalsium. Mm-hmm. which is like i don't know god i guess mm-hmm. and it shatters into 16 shards okay and, a couple, and these shards are like picked up by people and they basically become gods for with basically become gods and they go to certain worlds so and these these shards have a certain like characteristic okay one of there's t- i think there's According to what I've looked up, there's two shards on Elantris. One of them is Dominion. Okay. So this Domi-Dominion connection that you're making is actually Domi is probably connected to this god or shard that is Dominion. Okay. So I think we're I think we're done here. I, right. I think you solved it. Uh, yeah. So Brandon feel free to come on the show and we can talk about how uh i'm just way smarter than you um and able to uncover this 
vast conspiracy that you have i'm i'm assuming you were going to reveal this in your next book but now that i've done it already i think you can just you know call it you don't need to worry about it um and we'll just keep it at one so (laughs) yeah you won you won this one over brandon i think i don't think i don't think he could come up with any kind of and and you know what they say when if we're calling let's say this fantasy or fantasy books are art Sure. Once the once the original author's done with them, they're not theirs anymore. Oh, it's right? ours now. Whoever whoever interprets it, like the author can't prove them wrong because it's not theirs anymore. Right. Because they released it. Well, I mean, there is a correct interpretation, just like art, and I think we found it. But right, but it's not like it's not like the author can be like, "Oh, I didn't intend that." Oh, right. Well. But but Brandon did intend this. He just didn't think anyone would find it. It's like an Easter egg. Oh, his, okay. It's like he put an Easter egg in his book, and I just found the Easter egg and ended the whole Cosmere series in one go. So, wow, <laughs> kind of messes with the rest of our podcast, you know. I think there are other fantasy novels that we can run. Yeah, that's true. So now that I've just like busted open this whole this whole world, Luke, did you have anything else that you wanted to add in terms of? Elantris and anything else about the ending that you thought was cool or interesting? Uh, I was gonna I was gonna jump into basically how we would rate this book in terms of other books and where it where its position is in basically the fantasy uh, landscape. Ooh, okay. Um, I think that's a good idea. I had one more thing that I wanted to talk about and I'll be brief. I'm going to let you get in on this one. I know the last one I was doing a good part of the theorizing. Uh, This one I think is going to be a good team exercise. Uh, Okay. Nice. Okay. This has been a Dan heavy episode. This has been a very Dan heavy episode and I apologize for that. Um, I want to talk about the implication that Serene makes at the very end of the book when she says she's looking forward to her wedding night. Okay. From a Western perspective, Where are you going with this? hold up, listen. From a Western perspective, it's obvious what she means. We don't need to go into that, right? Ha ha ha, it's very funny. However, sure. the religions in this universe have nothing explicitly to do with the religions that exist in Western culture. So this assumption that we're making about what happens on a wedding night after a Karath wedding doesn't necessarily have any grounds on what actually happens on a wedding night in the Karathi religion. So what I want to know, Luke, is what are they doing on their wedding night? You got any theories? I'm gonna say um, I'm gonna say bowling. <laughs> the only sport that's acceptable to Delmi is bowling, and the only time you're allowed to do it is on your wedding night. Right. And Serene has been waiting for her entire life. Everybody likes bowling to try. But she doesn't out. even. She's never even experienced it. And you can't bowl if you're not married. Is there some? Is there some reason or is it just forbidden? Is there some like you have to have a partner to bowl with or like is it literally just that Domi forbids bowling until you're I married? I think it's just forbidden by Domi. And is it is it like traditional earth bowling? Yeah, the, yeah. Okay. You don't you can't it's already a perfect sport. You can't <laughs> you can't change bowling. 
We've got okay, it granted, granted, it's a perfect sport. Um, it may uh, be some some lesser form of bowling. Okay. Since they're since I don't know, maybe they're not quite as advanced as Earth yet, but it's not going to be more more than our what we view as bowling. Okay, I guess that's probably fair. Um, and I mean, from context clues, now that I think about it, that makes a lot of sense. Um, especially the fact that we don't see any sports being played by anyone in the entire series. The only semi-sport thing they do is fencing, which is basically fighting. Um, right. And that's very frowned upon. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because you know what fencing leads to? Bowling. Premarital bowling. That's not what you want. You can... <laughs> I'm so glad I chose bowling. We're all, we're, I think everyone's glad you chose bowling. Um, I mean, that was really the only, the only last little bit that was still nagging at me. Uh, I think they probably have like secret bowling halls, like, like kind of a form of a brothel. Well, you have to do it in the privacy of your own home. I mean, so yeah, either, either privacy of your own home, but like very, because no one can see the little bowling alley in your home. So it's got to be tucked away. Right. Oh, absolutely. It's like a, it's like a private chapel. Oh shoot! Do you think they have a bowling alley in the Karathi Chapel, like in Elantris? Yeah, oh, they've got to. Okay, now does the slime make the bowling better or worse? I'm gonna say better, Ooh. because hear me out. Okay, they probably don't have the kind of high level polishing. Or whatever they do at our bowling alleys. <laughs> Premium so bowl say, polish. Yeah. So I'm going to say this slime action that's in Elantris right now is their form of the polish that we put down in our bowling alleys. So what I'm trying to say is now that Elantris has gone down for about 10 years, we've got new and improved bowling. <laughs> the advancements in bowling technology have just been incredible. Since the fall of Elantris. <laughs> I'm going to say that 10 years was worth it just for the bowling advances. But only married people can do it. Yeah, but that's a pretty good incentive to get married. Yeah, and guess true. who gets more power through oh, marriages, shoot. through Karathi religion. The Karathi the religion Karathi gets more religion. power. Oh, dang, Luke. I'm loving pretty this. Pretty deep right there. I'm loving this. All right. Uh, Well, we've done a lot of... Uh, We've done a lot of work for you, honestly, listener. Um, this is this is not easy stuff to figure out, and we've just given you given you all this information extra about the book, this big addendum that Brian didn't include for you, and we just we just did a, a little book report for you, um, and we're going to give you a little bit more. Um, we'll give you a rating for the book. So, uh, Luke, how do you think this book compares to? other kind of fantasy novels where would you put this in the fantasy canon all right so here's how i like to think of these kind of ratings kind of things Mm -hmm. so you basically have to think about it as a uh like if it's good or if it's bad you have to rate that in terms of like a replacement i see okay what i'm saying is have you do you have like a nook or a kindle e-reader or something like that yeah i have a kindle yeah so so you know how you can go in there and find just like free books. Yes. 
those are going to be our replacement. So we have to say, if this, if this book is good, it's like a certain amount better than those books. You know what I mean? Because you could just pick up those books and it would be like, you know, just reading whatever. I, okay, so give what me I'm, an example. So, okay. Basically, if I'm saying this book is good, it's going to be, or if I'm saying this book is like average, mm-hmm. it's going to be right at that level of like a free book on a Kindle. Okay. So like something you'd pick up, you'd be like walking home from work and you'd see it on the side of the street and pick it up and read it and not. So, yeah. So like if, if I was, if I was recommending this to a friend, it would ah, be like, yeah, it's better. It's better than a book that you just get for free on the Kindle or it's worse than a book you just get for free on the Kindle. Gotcha. Okay. You get my rating system okay. now? Okay. I think I understand. So okay. Luke, where does this fall? I'm going to say it's only slightly better than replacement. Yeah, I think, okay, I'm going to have a slightly different rating system. I'm going to talk about recommendations. So I think I would recommend this to a friend who wanted a fantasy novel, but only if I could let them borrow my copy. Oh, okay. So you don't want them to spend money on it. Yeah, I think spending, like, I think it was good. And I think I would let them borrow my copy to then read and be like, oh, I should buy my own version of this because I appreciate the author and I want to support them. Or, oh, I'd like to read the next one. And I, I wouldn't give them the next one. I'd say, or like something else in the Cosmere series. I'd say, you should read, you should pick it up yourself at this point. Um, but as like an introduction, I don't know if it would be something that I should, I would recommend to somebody to go out and buy one right away. Okay. Sure. That sounds pretty similar to what I'm saying, but I do think your theory and this bowling revelation, I think it might tick it up another couple. Yeah. It adds new, it adds new like depth to the story, you know, which, which frankly I, I hadn't really thought of before. Um, it, yeah, it brings it up to just a stronger appreciation for me. In terms, So I normally, a lot of the books that I like in terms of just like picking up a book or a lot of kind of like, you know, fights with swords and that kind of thing. Mm, mm-hmm. this, is, this is not that. No. Right? Because there's very little fighting. It's a lot of, I guess, kind of pol- political maneuvering, mm-hmm. discovering, discovering uh, mysteries, basically. Mm-hmm. And now we've got discovering whole new plot lines that were not laid out for us very well in terms of the Karathi takeover mm-hmm. that adds even more to the already uh, pretty strong level of kind of mystery and, and theory unraveling. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm going to bump it up to well above replacement, actually. Yeah, I think with our supplementary podcast... Uh, I would recommend somebody go go buy the book and listen to our podcast at the same time. And if you have friends who are thinking about getting the book, I, I think you should recommend them this podcast as well uh, because I think it's yeah, good, thi- it's good supplementary material. It's, it's actually kind of necessary supplementary material in my opinion. Yeah, I am a little concerned that after we publish this, um, the forums are going to start going crazy and then it's going to kind of – our analysis is going to get lost to the sands of time in terms of who thought of it first. It's just going to be like fact. Um, right. And so I would say as soon as possible, get the book and listen to this podcast at the same time. Um, 
Because this is fresh. Because this is it's fresh. Really fresh now. And then you will be the first one who knew where this came from. So when people are talking about this 10 years down the road, like, oh man, isn't it crazy how there's that subplot throughout Elantris that, you know, you pick up all these threads for, you can say, well, I listened to the podcast that originally uncovered this vast subplot of the Karathi Dominion. So I'm better than you at books. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, this podcast just makes, if you listen to this podcast, you're just going to be better at books than your friends, I think. So, right. Oh uh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that's a wrap on Elantris, I think. Um, yeah. Sounds good. Good work, Luke. Good work, Dan. Um, next week, uh, Luke and I were talking about tackling something a little more adult. Yes. A little more challenging in terms of bringing fresh new perspectives and analysis too. Yeah. I also, uh, so Elantris is, I would say perfectly fine for any age really. Um, and the next book that we're going to be doing, uh, Luke, do we want do we do you want to tell them what book we're going to be doing? Yeah, so we're going to be doing Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. You may have heard of it. Um, you may have. This one's not for the kids, so lock them up. Lock the kids up. <laughs> yes, before listening to this podcast, uh, anywhere is fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, hopefully somewhere comfortable because the book's pretty long. Um, but yeah, we're doing a Game of Thrones next uh so get ready for some more hot takes and and dumb nerds dumb nerds nice we did it that wasn't even planned